Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host... Who is it you think you see? Do you know how much I make a year? I mean, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Do you know what would happen if I suddenly decided to stop going into work? A business big enough that it could be listed on the NASDAQ goes belly up. Disappears. It ceases to exist without me. No, you clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Michael Preston. Yep. Wazoo. The one who knocks. But apparently... Too much of a danger to put into a New Year's Six game. It was a bit of a stretch on the analogy, I admit, but I don't really care. I just really wanted to put that clip in the intro. Welcome back to the Coog Center Hour Podcast, our first one since the Apple Cup. We're not going to talk about that football game. We've already written everything we could on it. We said everything we could the week before about why we thought Wazoo would struggle. So pick them because why not? I'm an idiot. Uh, But... That is long gone and long over now. Head volleyball coach at Washington State, Jen Green, going to join us from Palo Alto, California. She and her squad are in California for the Sweet 16, the volleyball tournament. They get the very easy task of playing number one Stanford. Very easy to try to advance. We'll also go over the Cougs 2019 football schedule. That is out. It is finalized. I think it's pretty good for a number of reasons. And then, as always, our done ahead of the week and ask... Michael, anything. I I mean, what more is there to say after after the final rankings came out? When they ranked them after the Apple Cup and they'd fallen from 8 to 13. And we all kind of saw coming what was going to happen. I mean, a lot of stuff really had to break right for the committee to justify raising WSU from where they had them at 13 into the top 12 where they were going to be eligible for a New Year's Six Bowl game. And none of it happened. But I I, I think, and we've obviously all gone over this and it's been said so many times in the last couple of weeks, but just it just bears repeating that Wazoo is not in the New Year's Six because they are not a brand. And, and and that is how it is. I do not mind three loss Washington being ahead of us in the rankings. They should be. They beat us and they won the Pac-12 championship. They're on their way to the Rose Bowl. That completely justifiable. But Washington State is not in the top 12 because they are not a brand. And that is upsetting. And I sit here now pissed off with... Going to the Rose Bowl. And I think, I, I, I do want to, you know, say, I, I think there was a miscommunication between Washington State and Iowa State fans uh, last week when that bowl game got announced in that not only were you upset that it's the Alamo Bowl because Wazoo should have rightfully been in the top 12 and on their way to a New Year's Six Bowl game, they went from playing West Virginia to Iowa State. And although Iowa State is a good football team, they are not West Virginia. There is no storylines involving Dana Holgerson, and there's no Will Greer, and there's no just the scoreboard shattering at the Alamo Dome. So, my apologies in advance, and we'll talk more to some Iowa State folks here as the month goes on, and we'll apologize again for that. But here I sit, mad, about this ranking. 
And it's funny how your expectations change from the beginning of the season to the first month of the season to the end of October and to now. And we'll get to that in a little bit because there are feelings here that it's that are okay to mesh. It's okay to feel multiple ways about this, and I'll explore that in a little bit where... You know, I, I'm not happy with the Alamo Bowl, but at the same time, if you'd offered me that at the beginning of the year, I would have said yes. I, I Unequivocally, I would have said yes. If, I, if you could have said, take your chances or the Alamo Bowl, I was taking that all the way. But we'll get to that in a little bit. The rankings, it just... Again, what, what more is there to be said? That directly ahead of you, directly ahead of you, at 12, 11, and 10 are three three-loss teams, including two in the SEC. Florida played two FCS teams this year, and I get that they scheduled Idaho long before they were going to drop down to FCS. I don't care. They played two FCS teams. LSU at 9-3, and three, and Penn State, who beat precisely no one at 9-3. and three. Oh, by the way, right behind Washington State at 14 is another SEC team at 9-3 and three in Kentucky. And I guess what this all comes back to for me is the theory from the committee that Florida, LSU are better than they are because they play in the SEC and that's really hard. It's hard to play in the SEC week in and week out. And I get that the SEC is the best conference in the country. And it is not close. I will not sit here and tell you that there is another conference in the NCAA which is as good as the SEC. There just isn't. Okay? But are we are we going to sit here and act like Florida who got beat a number of got roundly beaten a number of times and because I'm so well prepared I have their schedule pulled up obviously. But got their rear ends kicked including a couple of games at home if I'm remembering right, and now that I can look, I can see that they did lose big at home to Georgia. They lost to unranked Missouri, 23rd ranked Missouri. They're now 23rd ranked at the time they were unranked. And they lost to Kentucky. But again, that all it's, it's that self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, it, you know they must be good because... The SEC is really tough. And again, they beat LSU. LSU lost to Florida. Wazoo's two losses were on a short week and they were by a combined total of 16 points. Excuse me, 15 points. Including one on the road. Didn't lose. They lost one game at home to a ranked team who is now the Pac-12 champion. So, no, we're just going to say that, you know, not as good a resume, even though they're 10-2. and two, The only team on double digits that's not Fresno State or Boise State, so the only P5 team left out of the top 10 with 10 wins. That's what we're going to do. The quality of those losses, way better than the other schools ahead of them. Because if, if quality losses matter, and I've been led to believe they do, then what the hell's going on? What is going on with 
giving these teams a spot ahead of Washington State. And it, again, comes down to your brand, okay? It's your brand and the fact that they were ranked preseason. Be it fair or unfair, that's what it comes down to. Penn State damn near lost to Appalachian State the first weekend of the season. They lost to Ohio State by a point. I admit that was a narrow loss. They lost to Michigan State. Barely got past Indiana. Barely got past Iowa. And then got the tar beat out of them by Michigan. They only beat Rutgers 20-7. That should be disqualifying. How is Penn State ahead of Washington State? You beat Rutgers... The current Rutgers by 13 points. How? How is that not something that keeps you away from the top 12 and keeps you above Washington State? Rutgers is a hot garbage pile. <laughs> Look, I we've been over this so many ways. And it's... It's frustrating, frustrating from the standpoint of you can't get the respect, of, you know, the Roddy Dangerfield. You can't get no respect from the CFP because you're Washington State. This is your fifth ever 10-win season. You can't get the respect you should be getting. You were unranked to start the year because everybody thought, me included, you weren't going to be very good. But they had they had the the brass ones to put Washington State at eight. And then to drop them all the way to 13 after losing to a top 20 team. That just that just doesn't make a good deal of sense to me. Is how, how you can justify keeping them out of the top 12. Out of the conversation for a New Year's 6 game. How does that work? After, after you at least acknowledge they're the 8th best team in the country. Does that loss to Washington really mean that much? Because if we're talking about quality losses, that's a quality loss, right? This is the most depressing discussion I've ever had about the Apple Cup. <laughs> anyway, we've been all over that. But I do, again, want to touch on the expectation thing because I, I, I feel like we saw on social media this last week a lot of people saying, you know, you, know, you should be pissed off. They're not in New Year's Six Bowl and other people saying, well, no, they well exceed, you know, you shouldn't be mad about the Alamo Bowl because they're way better than we thought they were going to be this year. So you, you should be happy about that. And it is possible. I want to, I want to make sure we all know this. It is possible to feel both ways about this. It is possible to be upset with the Alamo Bowl and also at the same time thrilled with how the season went. Those two things are not exclusive. You can't be, you, you mustn't be one or the other. You can be both, as I am. I am thrilled with the fact that in a season where they were picked to finish fifth in the Pac-12 North, Washington State again had the Apple Cup to play to get into the Pac-12 championship, and they still won 10 games for just the fifth time in school history. That is exceptional, and our expectations for this team changed throughout the season as they got better and continued to improve. But it is still possible to be upset with the fact they are in the Alamo Bowl because they deserved 
to be in a New Year's Six game. They deserve to be in the Fiesta Bowl. They deserve to be in the Peach Bowl. They deserved one of those games, and they did not get them. They didn't get them. Unfairly. So these are you, you don't have to be one or the other. It is possible to be both of those things. Because I, I, I know we were all, everybody, it didn't matter which side of that camp you fell on, everybody was mad. Everybody was on the mad about not being in the top 12 camp on Sunday. Everybody was. And probably more so the week before because we, you kind of accepted your fate at that point and you kind of knew how this was really going to play out. So it kind of you know became very apparent what was going to go on the following week unless everything broke right. It was going to take a lot for that to happen and it didn't happen. So, both of those things are perfectly acceptable ways to feel about how this season shook out. Both of them are. And, I, and I, you know, again, you get to the end and I think I equated... I, I, I think I came up with a good analogy on Twitter. That the Apple, you know, the way the Apple Cup has gone... For however many years since 2012, because I'm tired and I don't want to do math. It it it's the last couple of years, especially, it has been like going to a really great party, and especially this year, you didn't think the you know the specific to this year, you didn't think the party was going to be that good, but you go and you end up having a super time. You end up having a great time. And then just about, as the party's really going to take off, somebody dumps a beer on your head. You're not going to... I mean, you'll remember what a great time you had at the party. You're going to remember the party. How great the party was. Until the part where you got a beer dumped on your head. And then instead of going and sitting like in a fire pit with classy s'mores and, I don't know, rosé or something, I, I don't know, uh, you're going uh, to a fire in a barrel uh, with Boone's Farm. Not quite as good. You know, you're still, you know, you're in a good mood, you're still happy with it, but, you know, you could be drinking the rosé around the campfire with high-class s'mores. Boone's Farm and... Fire in a barrel. Not quite as good. Just not just not quite there. Head coach of the volleyball team, Jen Greeny, coming up next. We're going to talk to her and her about her team's uh, Sweet 16 appearance coming up later this week. They play against Stanford on Friday night. That is a tall task to advance to the Elite Eight. We will see if they can do it. We'll get her thoughts on how they look ahead of that matchup coming up here. <laughs>
we return here on the Kook Center Hour uh, with another guest. Uh, this is her second appearance on the show this year, and her volleyball team is in the Sweet 16 of the NCAA Tournament in Palo Alto, California right now as head coach of the WSU volleyball team, Jen Greeny. Uh, Jen, this, uh, this season we spoke to you before it started. I think I thought this would be a pretty good season for Washington State. As it turns out, I was right about a prediction about one Washington State team. Uh, you are in the Sweet 16, the number 16 overall seed uh, in the tournament. Just describe for me uh, the feeling for you of how this season uh, went for your squad. Yeah, uh, you know, first of all, really proud of this team um, and, you know, what we've done so far. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, we really had talked a lot about you know trying to just improve on the last two years you know mm -hmm. we've gone to the second round twice and you know what we could do to you know kind of get further one of those things was to be able to get a seed um and we were able to do that uh, squeaked mm -hmm. in at the, the 16 seed yes. but you know <laughs> we were able to host you know the first two rounds at home and i think that's huge so we're happy to be here we know it's a tough road but mm -hmm. just really proud of what this team has done you mentioned, and like I said, number 16 seed. That's the last seed you can get in the tournament. So how important, you know, last overall seed, I should say. How important for you was it to have those two home games for this tournament? Because you've, you've been to Madison, you've been to Lincoln, and before we started recording, you said, it's kind of nice to be, you know, you mentioned, like, it's not really fun to go to those places because they're hard to play in, and you have to travel. But that first weekend, you just get at home in your own bed Describe for me the difference between and how and how much better it is to have that uh, as a team trying to advance in this tournament. Yeah, I think it's it's huge. Um, you know, like you said, we were able to sleep in our own beds. Our our girls got to go to class. You know, we were mm -hmm. kind of just in our, in our normal kind of home routine instead of you know hitting the road on a you know Tuesday night and traveling you know two time zones or whatever right. it is. So you know, not only just being at home and, and all of that, but then having kind of the home court advantage with the crowd and and just Bowler Gym itself, um, mm. I think that was really big last weekend. Describe for me that feeling. Uh, I mean, you, you guys obviously knew uh, you were going to be in the NCAA tournament, uh, but describe for me the feeling of you and everybody else in the room when you found out you were getting uh, that C, because like you just talked about how important it was, but just, just how excited was everybody for that hard work to kind of pay off? Yeah, that, that was really fun. You know, uh, like you said, we knew we were in, which, you know, really that was the first time for sure. You know, you know, we as yeah. coaches, you know, the last two years were kind of like, you know, hey, we think we're in, but you, you just never know, mm -hmm. um, you know, what the committee can do. But, you know, this year we knew we were in and just really hoping for that seed. So, you know, our name was announced, you know, pretty quick into the selection show and everybody was really excited um, that we were able to host, you know, our our RPI that week was kind of sitting around 14. Mm -hmm. So we thought maybe we would get that 14, 15 seed, which maybe would have been a little bit better than, you know, the 16 seed and meeting up with Stanford. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we'll take it. You know, it, no matter what, no matter who you're going to play in the round of 16, it's going to be somebody tough. So we know mm -hmm. that and we're up for the challenge. We'll talk about uh, that team you're playing on Friday night in Palo Alto here in a little bit, but this is the first trip 
uh, furthest trip in the NCAA tournament for Washington State since 2002. Uh, and uh, just the fourth overall appearance in the round of 16. I'll call it the Sweet 16, but the round of 16. Uh, this is a big accomplishment, I think, uh, for you, Coach, especially for your seniors, McKenna Woodford and Taylor Mims. They were voted onto all Pac-12 teams. Uh, th- this is just kind of a culmination of not only your rebuilding of this team, but kind of their four years at school, isn't it? Because to, to get this team to where they are now uh, has been quite an accomplishment just for the history of a, a program that was pretty storied. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, when we took over in 2011, it was, uh, as a program, uh, was pretty much in shambles. I don't know if it could have got much worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was quite the rebuilding process. But this group of seniors, you know, they came in, and most of them had to play right away in 2015. And, mm-hmm. you know, they got tons and tons of experience. Um, you know, we improved a lot that year. We lost, I think, like six matches in five sets. You know, like we were really close, um, you know, that year in 2015, but just yeah. um, didn't get over the hump. And then it was great to kind of get the monkey off our back in 2016 and go, um, you know, back to the tournament in, I think it was like 14 years or something crazy yeah. um, like that. But, you know, for this group of seniors, it's just been, um, you know, just absolutely great to see the progression and, you know, all of them just get better as players throughout their four years that they have been here. So really happy that we kind of um, just not only the, did they get the, you know, individual accolades, like you mentioned with mm-hmm. McKenna and Taylor, but, um, you know, we've done some pretty great things as a team and it's just really, a really, really fun group to coach and I'm just happy for them. I uh, won last weekend, a couple of matches in four sets over Northern Arizona. And then I was thrilled to see you beat an SEC team because I just don't like the SEC and really, frankly, anything. <laughs> uh, but you beat the Tennessee Volunteers in four sets as well. Uh, how did that prepare you uh, kind of for as we lead into Stanford this Friday night? Did that prepare you well uh, for the Cardinal? Or is, is Stanford just a completely different beast uh, than anything you could possibly see? Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it was good to have, um, you know, two teams that we weren't real familiar with, you know, haven't played, um, you know, and especially that Northern Arizona match, I think we got, you know, some nerves out, you know, some jitters, whatever that is, uh, that we were still able to come away with the win. And then I did Mm -hmm. think that we played really well against Tennessee and they um, we're a tough team. You know, they had only lost two matches in the SEC, and those were to Kentucky. And so, um, you know, they are a big physical team, and, you know, they're a kind of team that we face kind of week in and week out in the Pac-12, but somebody that we just weren't familiar with. So I was really happy to see how well we played um, against them. But you're right, Stanford's the number one overall seed for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, you know, they didn't have a real tough weekend. They haven't lost a set actually since we took one from them, mm-hmm. um, in, in Pullman. So, um, you know, it is nice that we're familiar with Maple's pavilion, you know, where we're going to play. And then we're familiar with Stanford as well. So, um, you know, a little bit of, of both. Sometimes it's yeah. better when you're not familiar, but, um, you know, I think we'll take it just with this team that, um, we are pretty familiar with where we are right now. Mm-hmm. You mentioned how good Stanford is and how they haven't lost a set uh, since you took one from them back on November 16th. And, and Jen, I don't know if you know this, but they lost, if my math is right, they've lost eight sets in conference play where they went 20-0. and 0. Uh, That's good. 
Uh, just, to, just to understand things a little bit here. Um, what what makes them tick so well? I mean, you know, even if you don't know much about volleyball, you know that Stanford is one of the best teams in the country year in and year out. What makes them tick and what makes them so good? Um, you know, well, right now they have, um, in my opinion, three really incredible players and they're really key players. Um, the first one is their setter, Jenna mm-hmm. Gray. Um, she is just phenomenal. You know, she's, um, extremely intelligent. She's actually a three sport athlete at Stanford. You know, she plays indoor volleyball, beach volleyball, and is on the track team. So, you know, piece of cake for her. Yeah, no, and, Um, and, and you go to Stanford and you also go to Stanford. So, you know, that's, yeah, no, that's easy. So she's super woman in in other words. Um, and then Morgan Hentz is their libero and she is Mm. also pretty unbelievable. Um, um, and then they have the player of the year, both for the Pac-12 and for our region, mm-hmm. um, in Catherine Plummer. And, you know, she's a future, you know, national team player. Um, you know, so w- with those three, um, and, you know, of course, the the support people around them are also very, very good, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't think that they are unbeatable. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that there are weaknesses here and there, and we're going to do our very best to try and exploit those. They did lose once this year, as I mentioned. It was in August to Brigham Young, but they have lost a match this year, so they are they are very beatable. And uh, we, we talked earlier about, you know, you don't have to go on the road to the Midwest for this. This is a little bit easier, you know, even though it's the 16th seed against the number one overall seed and you got unlucky in that respect. Uh, you're lucky in the respect that you don't have to go very far. Your rivalry counterpart, Washington, also is in Palo Alto to play Penn State, so you know, but th- this is kind of crunch time, uh, obviously, because we're in single elimination here. What, what, what is, what are you kind of telling the team, you know, tonight, tomorrow, as you guys go into, you know, the furthest this program has gone in the tournament in a decade and a half? Yeah, you know, I think our message is, you know, why not us? You know, the pressure mm-hmm. is certainly not on us. Um, it's fully on them. Um, you know, the last two times that we played Stanford um, down here, Taylor Mims went down. Um, we were actually uh, winning set two. She went down and got hurt. We ended up losing in three. And then, you know, at our place when we lost in four, Taylor didn't play the first two sets. And so we are actually playing with, you know, a different lineup, the lineup that we have had, you know, pretty mm-hmm. much the end of the year and, and been playing well. So I think there is some confidence there. Um, with this team and um, like we mentioned before this group of six seniors have done some really special things Mm -hmm. Um, and you know in 2016 we beat Stanford at home and so I think those are just the kind of little things that are kind of just in their mind right now that it's doable Mm -hmm. you know we will have to play extremely well um, but it's definitely doable they get in and out if they win (laughs) <laughs> I, th- I think I'd probably take him to in and out yeah. Oh, yeah, there we go. Perfect. Jen Greeny's team hits the floor 5.30 Saturday night against Stanford. You can watch online through Stanford's website. There's an NCAA tournament stream on there. Unfortunately, it's not televised. But if you have a computer, and I know you all do because you're listening to this, or your telephone, you can watch it there. Jen, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks a lot.
as always, it is superb to have Jen Greeny on, and we wish her team the best of luck as they take on the Stanford Cardinal this week. And God, that is just... What's your reward for getting <laughs> Sweet 16 for the first time in like a decade and a half is Stanford, the team who's lost one match all year and went perfect through Pac-12 play. Yeesh. Not a great reward. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's talk about this uh, 2019 football schedule. Uh, I hope you booked hotels yet, because if you haven't, probably a little late for that. <laughs> um, but uh, first of all, you get two buys in 2019. Uh, we'll run through this really quick. Opener against New Mexico State, then Northern Colorado, and then Houston, which we knew, and then UCLA at home, Utah on the road, by week, Arizona State on the road, Colorado at home, Oregon on the road, bye week, Cal on the road, Stanford and Oregon State at home, and then the Apple Cup, which is again on Black Friday. Um, so the first thing you notice is the two bye weeks, and that's awesome. Uh, 14 weeks to play the college football season in next year, which means you can have two buys uh, if you want them, and Washington State obviously would like them. Uh well, actually, no, you don't get them if you like them. You just get them. So everybody gets two buys. Everybody gets two buys uh, next season. And I think they come at pretty fantastic times um, for Washington State. They come at the beginning of each month. So it's the first weekend of October and the first weekend of November. So you're literally playing five games, then three games, then four games. Uh, so so that's pretty excellent timing. And Arizona State, Colorado, Oregon, uh, probably... You know, not going to be a terribly tough part of your schedule, but if you had to find the hardest part, uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But that you know, that's might be up there. Um, but they also, even even though you know Washington State, they go but they go a month pretty much uh, in between home games twice. That UCLA game on the twenty first of September, they won't play at home again until the nineteenth of October uh, against Colorado. The buys split those back-to-back away weekends so they're not on the road they are quote-unquote on the road back-to-back weekends but they get to come home and stay at home and rest and recuperate in between those road trips um so from that standpoint it worked out pretty darn well especially because you know i think looking back on the schedule some years ago this year's was pretty favorable uh the year before with the five home games turned out to be really good uh in september um but th- this is this is really stacked up to be probably as good of a schedule, I think, as we've seen the Cougs get um, in quite a while. Utah in late September and Tempe in mid-October, those are good candidates for road trips. Eugene in late October is just going to be awful. Uh, the Bay Area in early November might not be bad. I would probably say the Salt Lake City and Tempe road trips are my most like you know enticing in terms of going on, especially because Red Iguana is in Salt Lake City and I really want that. Uh, and Arizona is also nice and warm at that time in October when it starts to get cold here. Weather-wise as well, you get three home games in September. And even that Colorado game, which should in theory be homecoming, probably decent-ish weather. Although they've been home, last time they were homecoming, it absolutely poured rain uh, for that as well. Uh, overall, I think this sets up real nicely. That you're going to have to replace your quarterback, and that's a big ask uh, in this defense. You're going to have to replace Peyton Pelour. But, I mean, really, that's about it. Taylor Comfort, too, I think. Really, everybody's back. <laughs> Except for Andre Dillard. That's a big deal on the offensive line. He's an All-American. But 
Other than that, all your receivers, back, running backs, probably. I don't think James Williams is going anywhere. Running backs are back. Four-fifths of your offensive line, back. A good portion of your defense, back. Your receivers all back. Your kicker, back. Your punter, back. I mean, this sets up really nicely. Honestly, the hardest part of the schedule is, again, it's the end. And it is it is really backloaded uh, with their North games. This was very, this is very odd. Washington State doesn't play a, a division game until October 26th. That is the one kind of real oddity on this schedule. They play Pac-12 games before that, obviously, but they play all the South teams first and then all the North teams. Oregon, Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and then Washington. That's really weird. I'm like just now looking at that and noticing that. But that is, again, I think that's going to be their toughest stretch. I just don't know how good the Pac-12 South is going to be next year. I don't think, I think you're getting UCLA at the right time because if they're going to be good, they're probably going to be good later in the season. Utah's got to replace Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss. Uh, Arizona State was kind of that you know, enigma this year. They were just kind of okay, decent. Colorado's going to be breaking in a new coach. So really, once you get to late October and right around that second bye, that's really where it gets difficult. Oregon will probably be good next year again. Cal will be improving. Stanford's kind of up in the air whether they're going to be good or not. I think, again, David Shaw will have that team in good shape until he doesn't. Like, that's just my rule with David Shaw. They're going to be good. Probably pencil them in for eight wins. Until it doesn't happen, and I know it hasn't happened before, but just David Shaw is so damn consistent. Oregon State, again, going to be rebuilding, and then Washington's Washington, and then you're going to probably lose a football game. So overall, I, I think this this sets up very nicely for Washington State in that, you know, it, A, if, if the bare minimum expectation, and I think we're beyond this at this point with Mike Leach, that if the bare minimum expectation is bowl eligibility, they should certainly be there by that second bye weekend. You're going to beat New Mexico State. You're going to beat Northern Colorado. You're going to get at least one of the three of Houston, UCLA, Utah, if not two of them. And then Arizona State, Colorado, and Oregon. There's no reason you shouldn't win two of those three games. So, again, it sets up very nicely for them to have, you know, and I know I know we don't prognosticate well around here, obviously, but... It sets up very nicely for them to, again, have another bowl-eligible season and to have another year of a lot of good success and to hopefully not go back to the Holiday Bowl again. <laughs> I would go, I'm fine with the Cheez-It Bowl. I want free Cheez-It swag. I want Cheez-It stuff. And to probably play in the Las Vegas Bowl like the last year before it's the really big bowl. Or is that 2021? I can't remember when the Vegas Stadium gets finished, but... Right before the Las Vegas Bowl gets to be like the number two bowl in the conference, which I think it will once that new stadium's finished. Um, yeah, that would be a good idea to play in that game if anybody's like had a big anger and to go to the Las Vegas Bowl. Um, so again, overall, I think this really sets up nicely uh, for Washington State, especially that very slow uh, break in those first two weekends. You get New Mexico State and Northern Colorado. New Mexico State has never been a very good football team. And Northern Colorado is an FCS team. So whoever the new quarterback is next year, whether it's Trey Tinsley, whether it's Anthony Gordon, whether it's Cam and Cooper, whether it's graduate transfer, for the record, I think it's going to be a graduate transfer again. Um, no matter what who it is, you get an easy break in. You, you can ease into this. You can ease in Lamonte McDougal, who's been sitting out the year to transfer as the new defensive tackle. Everybody can kind of 
wade into the pool slowly, so to speak. And then your Pac-12 opener against UCLA early in the year, uh, when in theory that's going to be the part of the year where they're not as good. So hopefully that's helping you out a little bit in that regard. But, I mean, honestly, after, after years and years and years of thinking the schedule makers just had it out for Washington State, this... This looks really nice. I really like this schedule. It's pretty good. It's pretty really good. And I got my hotel rooms already, so on it everybody who didn't. That was really rude. I don't care. Dunderhead of the week. Ask Michael and it's coming up next. Dunderhead of the week time. Uh, our producers on this show, uh, as you may know, like many cats, uh, enjoy chasing animals uh, that are tiny, like bugs, like flies and spiders and whatnot. Uh, and part of the reason why my wife and I like having cats is they can entertain you in that way, and they're also a little independent, and they, you know, don't need constant attention except for the two we apparently got which need damn near constant attention but uh producer uler uh this week he's a little heftier uh so he can't jump quite as high as a sister can uh and i do mean genuine sister they are litter mates and i don't just do that you know like oh they're sisters we got them siblings we got them together no they were born together um he saw fly uh, in the little landing spot at the top of our stairs in our house, you know, you kind of walk upstairs, which do a little 180 degree turn as you go up, and we have a little landing kind of like area in between two rooms, uh, like a bedroom in our media room. And he saw a fly on the wall on the opposite side from the banister where the stairs are, right? So, or so, so you make the turn and. He's sitting on the banister at the top of the turn, and then straight out, there's a fly kind of over the stairs. And so keep him, this is just open to the stairs to the bottom, right? So if you miss, you're going a long way down. Guess who missed? <laughs> he jumped, he thought he could get there, and he didn't, and he just went crashing down. Just 16 pounds of meat just rolling down the stairs. Poor guy. Oh, look at this. I laugh because he's fine. He's fine. Walking around. Ain't nothing wrong with him. Oh, man. That fly got away, too. That fly got away. I don't know where he went to, but he disappeared. <laughs> Uller. He's in the room, too. First time ever he's not making noise. What happened? He's fine. Don't worry about it. He'll be alright. 
Ask Michael anything, Todd. Ask me anything. From my own sister. Color Christmas tree lights or white lights? Colored. Always colored lights on a Christmas tree. At Cam, K-A-M Walsh, Katie Walsh. Thoughts on Gardner getting the Golden Arm Award but not being invited to NYC. Which would you rather have him win? The Heisman Trophy. I assume that's what we're talking about here. I'd much rather have him win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, at WSU Codester, Cody Jewell. What might be some reasons Pac-12 presidents wouldn't fire Larry Scott? They're typically hesitant to big change like that, and you know, you know, people in those positions are hesitant to big changes like that, especially top of the conference. Probably going to own some money too. I mean, I don't know how much it is or how his contract structure, but he's certainly not doing a very good job. Uh, so that that might be part of it. Um, they may also just be a lot more happy with them than we thought or we think. At J Leap nineteen, Jeff Leaper Leper Leaper. Leaper. If Minshew shaved his mustache, could he slide in for one more year unnoticed? <laughs> yeah, he could as Mardner Ginshu. I think that's how he would do it. At Lil Taco 21, the beastly Pope. Why does Twitter keep recommending I follow Guy Fieri and what beast must I slay to lift this curse? You have to be elected mayor of Flavortown, damn it! That's how. At Aram Gomez. Aram Gomez. Or just, I don't know, like good food that he doesn't cook. He had like a restaurant in Times Square or something that went belly up too, I think, didn't he? How, how does a restaurant go up, belly up in Times Square? How? At Aram Gomez. What's your favorite workout song? For some odd reason, I put on a few pounds this football season. Yeah, me too. Uh, I listen to podcasts, honestly, when I work out. But I only do cardio. I haven't lifted yet because I haven't gotten to the point where I want to lose weight, and every time I do, I regain the weight. Uh, I listen to the Dan Lebitard Show on podcast. I think it's the best sports talk radio there is. At Thomas Lawrence, Tom Lawrence, do the Cougs start next year in the top 25? Yeah, probably. Yeah, especially if they win the bowl game, yes, definitely. At Jimmy the Coog, Jimmy Morgan, does WSU drink more bush light than Iowa State? It's been a big, like, consternation between the fan bases this week is who drinks more bush light? I think we do. They think they do. I'm happy for everyone to find out in San Antonio. At Coach Smith 99, Brandon Smith, corn dogs or hot dogs? Man, it depends on my mood, but most of the time, a hot dog. I do love corn dogs, though. They're so good. So underrated. At Jeff O'Neill, Jeff O'Neill, will the fan ratio of the Alamo Bowl be better or worse than 4 to 1 in favor of Iowa State? I think better than that. I think a little bit. Especially because at the end of the week, is everybody kind of a long time to travel down there? I think a lot of people drive too. So I think that'd I think that'd be better. At Hindu Manchu, Blackie, you can get your name on a facility or endow an equal value in scholarships. Which do you choose and why? This is I like this question. This is an interesting question. Huh. I think I'd do the scholarships. Just just because it's helping more people and they understand the value of that. You know, you can put your name on a building, but nobody really knows why a building is named what it is and it's like eh you know cool but I get my name on a scholarship and it gets to help people every year Aunt Glenn Duggan Glenn Duggan should we settle the Bushlight claim at halftime of the Alamo Bowl what would the competition look like okay so this is like riffing off my head I didn't look at this before I came up with that idea uh it, like it's gotta be like a relay race you know like a like relay in baseball right you just like 
every five yards, someone there to chug a beer, and you got to run to the next person and tag them in. That's what it would have to be, I would think. At Wazoo Crew 11, where is Iowa on a map? I can't seem to find it. It's right by... What is it below? Minnesota. It's next to Illinois. It's above Missouri. Where's Nebraska? Too, right? I used to be in the geography beat. At Fraternal Cloud, Jesse, can we trade our basketball team for one more season of the Mississippi mustache? Believe it or not, the basketball team will be better at some point. So, there. At Rolled a Turkey at the Alamo Bowl, Kuska. <laughs> Calm down and tell me why this team will come out pumped and put together and put together a damn good performance, win or lose, as opposed to previous bowl performances. It's just a different team. I mean, and I, I know they didn't show up in the Apple Cup, but that's just a team that has their number, and the weather was just truly abhorrent. And we don't want to make excuses with the weather, but it really was bad and took them out of their game. This game is indoors, no weather, and it's Gardner Minshew, man. And they'll be fine. I, th I really think they will be. We'll try to do a show next week. Work gets a little nuts. We will definitely do one the week before Christmas and probably a shorty the week of the game as well. Plenty of Alamo Bowl coverage. Here on the Kook Center Hour, we'll see you next week, maybe.